Hi, it's Ella, and this is another episode of Feeling Griefy, all about health, I think is what we're calling it. Um, I talk to Patrick a bit about this tendency I have when I go to the doctors to just start crying um, more than, I guess, the medical appointment requires because I suddenly feel very vulnerable and insecure, and we kind of explore that a little bit. Um, There's a moment I get a bit more emotional than I thought I would because I really didn't think I was going to get emotional today. Um, And maybe we'll put the time that that is in the the bottom because I don't think it's a very, you know, emotional episode apart from this one little bit. And Patrick also asks me about my exercise routines. Yes. Um, (laughs) Not for advice, but mainly because we've spoken before about how your struggles with the medical professionals are kind of outweighed by... Uh, positive experiences you've had doing exercise and how that grief as ever is present in all of those things yes and patrick does a great job of therapeutizing me for free do you remember the first time you went to a hospital after your mum died oh that's a good question the first thing that comes to mind is um I think a year after mum died, I must have been to the doctor in between that time and got tonsillitis or something. But I woke up in the middle of the night and on my way to the toilet, I walked into my wall. Wow. Okay. Were you in the dark? Yes, but it was a really weird sensation where I I felt off balance and I, I was like walking as if you're walking on an aeroplane to the toilet. Oh, I think I know that feeling. Where you, I just was really disorientated. So obviously I diagnosed myself with a brain tumour. Yeah. And went to bed panicking. And then the next morning felt really like weak. I was really like shocked at what happened last night. Thinking I've never walked into a wall before. And went to work. And I was working at a cafe at the time. And just was really weepy, like on edge the whole day. And I think I managed to get a doctor. I think I called 111 on the way to um, my work. And they obviously we like you should go to the GP I think because that's often the response to yeah. lots of um, uh, questions and I then got an appointment later that day and I at that point was I don't know if I, can you say the word hysterical I was like very yeah. very emotional like sat in the waiting room as if I ha- had been told I had a brain tumor and I wasn't I wasn't even crying because I thought I had a brain tumor I was crying because I felt so rubbish And it just, I don't know what it triggered in me, but I suddenly just felt so, I just couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop crying. And so I get into this doctor's room and he wasn't a very friendly doctor. Was it like a sense of helplessness, do you think? I think it was... With your self-diagnosed brain tumour? I think a a sense of helplessness. I think it was confusion of what it was, but I think actually, if I'm honest, the whole rest of the day, I wasn't feeling as dizzy as I had at night. I just maybe thought, okay, maybe something's wrong. And maybe deep down there's this feeling that you get that when you're ill, normally it's your parents that would look after you. And so it's funny when you're an adult and you're feeling a bit ill and it's not something you know what's really happening. But I think it almost opened the floodgates and gave me the opportunity to shed a layer of grief. Like it was this amazing opportunity to just be upset about it and it not be about grief and everyone was being so nice to me when I was at work I was just kind of like oh I don't know why I explained to them and you know I went home early and stuff and but then when I sat in the doctor's room I just was such like and what was actually kind of bad he wasn't a very sympathetic doctor um obviously maybe because he was like why are you crying so much like nothing serious has happened you walked into a wall I walked into a wall it was just an opportunity to be able to be really upset and give myself permission to be authentically upset it's not that you have to have 
a, a good reason to be upset and I think that's one of the things with grief is it doesn't it doesn't have such a start and end point like it's not it's not like with that I felt ill and, and I was really worried about it and then I could cry and there's a direct reason for that I think grief it, it's changes shape and sometimes it's something kind of related to it or something an offshoot of it and I think that definitely must have been an offshoot where maybe I really wanted mum and maybe I just want it makes you feel very young and and vulnerable and maybe the doctor represented because it's happened a few times now where I've gone to the doctor about something and just been sobbing yeah and and it's funny because I wouldn't say I'm someone who holds my grief in I think I'm very open with my grief I think I cry very openly (laughs) but to a doctor represents a kind of and they wouldn't want you to say this, but like a carer, yeah. like a healer, like someone who's going to make you better. Like as a child, your mum would have done. Yeah, maybe it's that. Because there was a time where I was getting a filling and it was a dentist and she was giving me the injection. It was like a few months after mum had died. And she was like, well done, sweetie. You're doing so well with having this injection in. And I started crying because she, maybe because my mum used to call me sweetie. Um that's a train <laughs> maybe because my mum called me sweetie and also everyone has this injection so she probably does, says that to everyone like well done like I wasn't doing anything I just had my mouth open and she was putting the injection in my mouth also really tough to give someone a filling when they're crying I know I had these like tears going down the side of my mouth like she probably wouldn't have realized or maybe just thought I'm crying about the injection and so that happened when I was at the dentist and that took me by surprise I think that was the first time it happened and then there've been some other times. Oh, there was a time when I so I've tried to give blood twice, and both times I've nearly fainted, and both times I've cried and taken the rest of the day off work because I just felt so rubbish afterwards. And then I suddenly get really emotional, and I think this is grief. I get confused with what my feelings are sometimes. But the first time I I gave blood, like I was sitting down afterwards having your like squash and biscuit, and the woman there was like asking everyone, "How are you feeling?" And I think I just said, "Oh, I'm just feeling." Um, oh, just feeling a bit funny. I don't even know if I actually was feeling a bit funny. I probably was. But she looked at me and her face changed because I must have looked looked very, like, sheet white. And they have probably a protocol they use to stop, because obviously it's very dangerous people faint. Yeah. So I think they're very practised in stopping anyone fainting. So I basically got guided out of my chair, laying on the floor. They put a whole... um, thing around me so none of the other people could see me like when a racehorse yeah has fallen yeah they, <laughs> they put that around me lay me on a yoga mat move my feet someone was fanning me someone else was feeding me biscuits and that i just sounds lovely it was really nice and she one of them had their really cool hand on my head and i must have i was very clammy so it must have been just like i was feeling quite faint after giving blood but i just lay there and i just was so emotional yeah and it happened and i just and it just must look ridiculous because I and they must be like, oh, you're crying because you're feeling faint. And I'm thinking, I'm crying because I miss my mum. And you're doing what? Maybe it's just the maternal aspect of it. Like it almost makes me feel a bit emotional now thinking yeah. about that. Because it just is that maybe it's that feeling of like complete care. I think I was also really embarrassed. I had this thing around me and I didn't even faint. I was like, I didn't even give you guys the real deal. <laughs> I just Is there also, and I'm massively drawing parallels here that I don't need to, but like I've given blood quite a few times successfully <laughs> don't want to mention but you do in the snack zone you sort of be- let yourself believe that you're feeling weak yeah i remember once um cycling home being like oh, i shouldn't be cycling because i you know i could barely see straight because they've taken so much blood from me and it's almost as if you've now instilled in yourself whether it's giving blood or having a filling or going to the doctor like Oh, this must this should make me emotional because it's someone who's putting me in a vulnerable position and then asking if I'm okay and supporting me and looking after me. Yeah. And it's that kind of 
there's a word that I'm looking for that I can't find, but... Um, it's like a psychological... You, I don't know what the word is you're looking for, but the... But the context that you're in, you've just created... It's like a Pavlov's dog thing. Like, yeah. You've, you're, you've conditioned yourself. Yes. Thank you. Conditioned. To, to React, feel that way. Yeah. Which is then, which then means, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when you then, like giving blood is fine when you then put yourself in a position that's probably more intimate or vulnerable or genuinely scary, mm-hmm. I can't begin to think how you would react to that. I think, yeah, it's almost like it mixes. I think, yeah, you're right in that, in those instances, I'm feeling very vulnerable. And there is a thing that often when, you know, you do go to the doctors, you can, and that's why like when you're given a, you know, a serious diagnosis, like, you know, when mom, my mom was told um, she had stage four cancer. They always make sure there's someone else there and they recorded the conversation with her, which we've actually got at home, weirdly. Because often in those instances, you aren't, you aren't thinking straight or you're, because you, you, you're with someone who's in a position of power. You sometimes don't ask the right questions. You kind of are not talking as if you were talking to a friend and sometimes you maybe, would, yeah, you forget things. You might not speak up for yourself as much. And so I think there's definitely an element of that anytime you're with people who are in a position of power or care. And maybe sometimes I like to lean into that because I don't, I don't think I do that often in my day-to-day life. Like it's my excuse almost to suddenly be like, you know what, I'm really sad about this. Or you know what, I'm I'm actually really emotional and this has just given me the perfect reason or the perfect opportunity to have a, a real cry. Because, so not to go on about, I've literally only given blood twice and I don't think I'll do it again for a while. But I went back because I was like, I think I can do this again. Because the woman the first time was like, if this happens again, you know, maybe giving blood's not right for you. But I was like, no, no, no. Like ordered myself some Floridex, which is great for iron. Really nice. Tired of being tired. (laughs) (laughs) It is an effective advert. Although actually, now you've said that, I realise it isn't Floridex I had, it's Spartone which I also recommend anyone who's listening has an iron deficiency, which I think we probably all do. Great sachets that taste like apple juice because apparently it's mixed with vitamin C, which helps it absorb more. And they're like these little sachets. And my mum made me have them before have I them went. After, after running marathons and stuff? Uh, maybe. I mean, I've I think never... I've had them. They're nice. They That's taste... not a subtle way of throwing in front front a marathon. But... <laughs> so you give them blood loads, you've run a marathon. <laughs> um, but I've had that. So yeah, I, so I basically bought loads and I was like on a mission to be able to give blood and it'd be fine. And, and you I, also kind of set yourself a challenge there. Yeah, I was like, I'm going to do this and I'm not going to cry and nearly faint and have this board put around me and, and, you know, three women around me looking after me. So then the second time I go, I like planned it in the middle of my day in a working day. because I was like at, at UCL and I was like, okay, I'll just go around the corner. Um, and also when you go there to give blood, you feel like you're doing such a good thing. Yeah. Like you're sat there, like, I feel a bit like a celeb right now. Like, yes, I'm giving blood. And then I sat down and it was a different format to when I first gave blood. And, um, at the end of it, I can't remember if last time I got up straight away after giving blood and sat down at the snack bar, but this time they wanted me to sit for 10 minutes on my chair. Yeah. But they didn't do that last time. So after I gave blood the second time, he took the needle out of me, went off to put somewhere and I literally got myself up on my feet and was like pa- like bent down to get my bag. And he looked, he was like, no, 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 sit down. So I like sit down again. I was feeling fine. But obviously that movement of having just stood up straight away, I've never, because I didn't, faint but I sat there and suddenly everything was draining my lips started tingling I was like could see the man in the distance and I wanted to call out to him help me like help me and no words could come out of my mouth but you know when you're just like what's happening to me like you know really like going kind of black in the eye like um what's it stars in your eyes and then they rushed over to me like tilted my chair back and it all happened again <laughs> like dab my face get the screens <laughs> yeah. 
like, no, it's happened again. And there's me like, you know, really nearly crying. And then I sat there for ages and every time I thought I was okay, I'd like stand up and I'd be like, no, I'm really sorry, I'm gonna have to sit down again. And like the whole way, it took me ages to go back to the office because I had to kept sitting down because I felt in your head as well, you're feeling very faint. And I think I just was, it was stupid standing up so soon. And it's annoying because I think that was the reason that happened, not because I couldn't have done it. But I don't know. But anyway, the whole rest of the day, I basically felt so poorly. But I think it was just, I felt so emotional and I felt so drained. And I just wanted to get back into my bed and cry. And again, I was like, I think it's just like an excuse for my body to feel, as soon as it's feeling weak. And maybe I don't know whether I was feeling griefy at the time. But I just was like, I can't, like, all my energy goes. I, I can't even describe it. But sometimes, sometimes now I'm like, maybe if I want a really griefy day, I'll give blood in the morning. And then I know that the rest of the day we write off because I'll probably cry. And then I think if we're talking about conditioning, that's worse. Yeah, I probably conditioned myself. That's that's borderline dodgy. Yeah, that probably is. I mean, it's good to give blood. It's good to give blood. <laughs> but that is bad because I think. But I I think I think it's just like a chink in the armor. It's suddenly going. Get, yeah, it's the excuse. Maybe it's me allowing myself. But again, like I said, I think I'm very good at letting myself. But maybe it's just suddenly when you're feeling very weak. I think it happens to everyone. When you're feeling physically weak, you just are a bit more vulnerable. And I think maybe then all my defenses for grief, because I think often a lot of the time in your day to day, and we've spoken about this before, just it's like how daily grief is. Yeah. And it's not daily in a way that I'm every single day thinking, oh, I'm grieving today. But it's there in the background. It's like a little hum. I remember someone describing it once um, as like the, the hum of your refrigerator. I never call it refrigerator, fridge. Must be someone American. And um, and you don't notice the hum until it goes off or, or until you listen into it, but it's always there in the background. And I think that's what grief is like. And so often there's other things happening that, that mean it, it stops it feeling fully real or it stops the realness of my mum not being here is kind of stopped in its tracks. I don't feel that as a reality. And then as soon as I'm feeling physically weak, it's like every, as with everything else, they, they kind of come down and then the grief can just permeate in or the missing of my mum. And then I f- just feel it more. But that's not a bad thing. But I think it maybe it's just a reminder that it, it just is there. And again, that's not a bad thing. And I, I've been trying to write something about just the normalcy of, is that a word? Normalcy? Normality. Norm, normality of grief. And that, because I sometimes gaslight myself thinking six years down the line, should I? Go over it. Uh, yeah am I making a big deal of it like even doing this podcast like am I talk? like am I actually grieving this much should I be grieving this much should I cry um is this just an excuse because like I said often my feelings all do get in a muddle and I sometimes just bring it back to my mum because that's the easiest thing to bring it to and also everything does come back to the fact my mum's not here but now I've kind of accepted and I kind of want to really be very um upfront about the fact that I am a full-time griever but yeah. not in a dramatic way this might be the most um, ridiculous and pretentious question I've ever asked, or it could be the most profound, profound <laughs> thing you've ever heard. You, your analogy about the fridge humming. Yes. Have Someone you, else's analogy. Sorry. Your other, your, the analogy <laughs> that you raised about the fridge humming and you only notice it when it stops humming. Yeah. Have you ever noticed the hum of grief stop? Oh. Albeit temporarily. Yes, it was a pretentious question. I kind of love that question and maybe this is a pretentious answer when I'm in the midst of it. So when I'm fully having a massive cry and I'm feeling really in touch and it doesn't happen very often. It's very rare to feel 
the reality of it all and to feel aligned like mind and body with with just this aching for my mum but when I'm having a massive cry I just feel I'm trying to bring it back to the hum stopping but that I'm just very much my mind and my body I've said this about three times are aligned like I'm not thinking of anything else I'm not thinking about the fact that I'm not grieving because I maybe it's because I feel very close to my mum in those moments and not in a bad way not that the only way to feel close to her is by having these big cries but I think it just connects everything and it makes me feel very authentic in my feelings because I think a lot of the time I am missing her and sometimes again it's weird to miss someone because it's very because you don't there's nothing tangible about it there's nothing to show for the fact you're missing that person or the the fact they're not here like death is is invisible you don't see it happen yeah and so sometimes when I do have these visceral cries I'm really happy because I'm like it's there like there it is there's that feeling that's been in the back of my head and it's been you know it's good it doesn't come out all the time because I don't that would be really debilitating but when it does I almost welcome it now and I'm like I know it's there because and going back to me saying I'm a full-time griever is in I and again it taps into this is a whole other conversation about um really poor language around grief and we have literally one word for many different things but I have now decided that for my definition and understanding of grief is that I will forever miss my mum and I see grief is like you know many different feelings behaviors responses I think it's defined on Google as like a response to loss but there's many different responses I have and the fact that I just will miss my mum every day like that's a fact therefore I just I'm thinking, well, I will be grieving every day. And again, it goes back to those levels of grief. And often it is a hum in the background. But then sometimes, I don't know, the hum doesn't, analogy doesn't go as far. It's the hum turned off or it's, you know, it's louder. And, and then I lean into it. Um, but I don't want it to to go away. And maybe that's bad to say and unhealthy. I don't know. But I think that I need it sometimes, those big moments of remembering, because it, reminds me that my mum ever existed because yeah. I just cannot comprehend a world in which I am not grieving I'm not missing her I'm not able to talk about it because then I'm thinking what sorry I had my mum for 20 years and there's nothing like I don't know whether it I don't know maybe there's a better way of wording it but like grief is to show for it like grief is what I'm left with yeah and yeah it's like you know grief is that this is a metaphor I'm trying out in my writing can you let me know if it works grief is like the uninvited plus one to party maybe we're not uninvited you know like the person someone brings along unexpected that's kind of a bit awkward it's better to like say hi to them for five minutes and give them a drink than like leave it lurking leave them lurking in the corner because then it's awkward presence yeah then it's even more awkward like you might as well you know say hi does that analogy work does that it does work kind of yeah we just have this weird relationship with grief and it's obviously this is this byproduct of death and so I, could, I don't know I mean I could talk about this for <laughs> ages but bringing it back to you know doctors and all that stuff I think maybe it's that given that grief doesn't have that physical presence like sometimes I literally wanted it to like flare up in spots after mum died I wanted to be able to look at my arm and go oh like the pink spots are back like I'm grieving I can go to bed and have a day off because there's none of that there, I think maybe those moments where I am suddenly really ill, I'm like, oh, my, finally, like, an excuse to, like, lie in bed and just feel sad and not feel on form. If that all makes sense. I think it was a good question. That was a great question. Yeah. And, yeah, and I loved it because I didn't know what I was going to say. Yeah. As the answer. Did that, was that a good answer? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, looking at your face for feedback. I was like, where's the smile? Where's the, <laughs> where's the nodding?
I'm really interested, and you don't have to talk about it, in the recording of your mum being yeah. told that news by the doctor. Yes. Have you ever listened to it since? Um, I think I came into my brother's room when he was listening to it. And it really caught me off guard because... And sorry, yeah. when was he listening to it? Um, Maybe it was like the year or two after. I think he found the CD in her things when we were going through them. And it really took me back because I... And this is... I've never actually watched film of my mum since she died. I've seen it. Tom put together a video once for Christmas of a holiday we had. Our last holiday with her before she was ill. And we watched that on Christmas Day and there were bits of mum in it and that was really emotional. But I've never sat down and watched film. Like that's a big thing for me that I think I've made even bigger because it's been six years now. And so listening to mum's voice is the closest I've come. And I remember because she was on the radio, um, my mum's work colleagues did a snippet on the radio after she died and there was a clip of her talking. And I, even on the weekend, like my dad sent me a video that Ned had found, my youngest brother Ned, um, of me carrying Ned as a baby, me age seven, Ned, little baby in my arms. And dad had sent a video of the video. I watched it with the sound turned down because I was really worried my mum's voice would be in the background. Wow. And maybe it's because I wasn't ready to hear it. But honestly, I'm feeling like I'm welling up now thinking about it. Like, I think I've, I really need to confront that fear because I think in some ways it's a very amazing thing to be able to be reminded of my mum so fully. But I'm really scared of that because I think that that it's just too paint like i maybe it's because when someone's not here anymore you like dull the edges slightly because it's easier because they're less vivid in your mind yeah but i'm yeah i'm scared of watching film of my mum and i've got she was actually part of in a documentary before she died called a time to live on bbc on the bbc and i think it's have you watched it i watched it at the time have you I have not watched it. And they came and filmed our family for like, you know, the weekend. Dad had all these off cuts of it that he, after mum died, would watch every single day. I think he'd sit and watch mum talking. And I'm excited that I have it. Like in my head, I'm almost like, it feels like such a precious thing to have that I've got this film of mum. And I, I, may, I think, again, it also taps into that I can only watch that for new once. Yeah. Like I've got no new footage of my mum. So it feels so valuable i sometimes feel this when i find something of hers that she's written like a diary you know she kept all these journals when she was younger and i'm like i can only read that for the first time once and so part of me puts it off for that because i'm like i don't want to use that up now because you know i'm only 26 i i could watch i want to watch for the first time when i'm like you know 30 or 36 or i want to savor those little parts of her um but that documentary and i'm i'm glad i've got it and sometimes i think about you know if i had kids that i would love to be able to show them that but I, yeah, I'm honestly, I feel quite emotional. I feel, I, yeah, I'm just very scared of it. And that goes back to the question of listening to that tape because I don't think I'd actively do it because, again, that's just too, too hard. It's, yeah. And it makes me think that all this talk of stuff I do about grief and, you know, my ability to, I've, man, I've found my way to manage it and stuff is actually a bit of a facade. <laughs> like, not a facade because I know that I do it. Everyone finds their own cap- coping things. But that's like the chink in my, you know, that's yeah. like my Achilles heel that, I just, it, it make I feel a bit clammy. Is that the word? I think clammy is That's on my mind. That's why I was scared to ask the question because I think, because you've never spoken about that to me before. Yeah. I suddenly, you said it and I was like, oh, interesting. But people have that with like answer phone messages. Yeah. Other, I've, other people I've spoken to and 
you know, and then there becomes that thing of like, oh, I can't listen, I can't delete that answer message, but I can't listen to it in case I accidentally deletes it at the end. Yeah. And then, but as you say, it's your, you have so many things and you're not, it's not a facade because yeah. you do 99 things. There's just one thing in a hundred <laughs> that you don't want to do and that's absolutely yeah. fine. And also I know in a way, it's like I know I'd be okay. I think what I imagine if I watched it, I'd want an evening on my own, buy myself some nice treats, maybe have block off the whole weekend in case it really hits me hard and watch it. I think it's just, oh, it's too bittersweet because you're starting to get very emotional. (laughs) That's okay. I really I don't stop? think I'd... No, 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 this is good. <laughs> this is always good. I, I have me thinking about grief. But I think it's because you're suddenly seeing someone in the flesh moving. Yeah. And it's just horrible, the thought that then you turn that off and then they're not there anymore. Yeah. So I feel... Goodness, we weren't expecting this. No. This was quite... <laughs> a question about boxing next. <laughs> oh, goodness. Even that, the fact that even talking about it makes me emotional. Yeah. It's just... It's become a thing and, and not even become a thing, but I think it's like, I know I've got them, but even the fact I could tell on the weekend when I was like, I was showing Henry this video of me and I was like, let me just check it's turned down. I can't, I can't, because I, I just knew mum would probably be in the background like, Ella darling, like look at the camera and that's too hard. But I think that's just a sign that I think whatever, however old or however many years have passed, you know, sometimes it brings it all back and suddenly you're back there with that person. also something that I think I wrote about in a blog once but something very dramatic I did after my mum died is I deleted all of our messages because you don't want the spectre hanging over you of should I delete the messages well yeah and also yeah I should but also I think I felt really like I hated that the text represented the immediacy of something that you get a reply from someone and that that was a finite like it was gone there were no more and so I just remember lying on my bed and it felt like I was thinking, you know, if a boy or your hasn't messaged you back and you're like, well, whatever, I'm just going to archive or delete those messages. I kind of felt like I was doing that with my mum. I was like, well, I don't want, you know, that to be on my phone and me to scroll back and stuff. And actually that's something I regret now that I did. And yeah. I, and at the time I thought, I'm not going to regret this. Like, this is me, like, getting rid of this thing. That, Owning things. Yeah, I'm not going to have this as something that could make me upset. Because that's very much at the beginning days when I really saw grief as, like, the enemy. I was like, I am not going to feel these things. Yeah. I don't want that. Like, and I really, I'm sad. Because I don't know if I would have even wanted to look at them now. I mean, you know, I've got this film of mum and I haven't watched it. But I think that the option's gone is sad and sometimes I'll you know sometimes if I'm looking through my hotmail inbox for a message it's such a rubbish search function that sometimes random messages come up that just Mm. have the same word in and sometimes they'll come from my mum and I'll really enjoy just clicking on it and just seeing what my mum said and I think I actually I know because lots of the last messages to my mum of very much in the days before she died so they'd be very painful because it was very you know when she was in the hospital when I was just all they're just like messages I wouldn't want to read really but before then just to have a snippet of like my relationship captured in text form because you know you know you have your relationship with someone in you know in the speaking form or, or how I feel towards her and how how I know she felt towards me but to have it, it, it tangible I think that I'm I'm and I'm not annoyed at myself now for doing it I I 
I respect that I did that because I know that that was me trying to control something. But I think that it's interesting looking back on it, reflecting on how you can be very rash in those moments. And actually maybe, I don't know if I'd read something or if I'd have had not some guidance because I don't think that's what would have done it but maybe an insight into things that you might be doing in those immediate months afterwards that I think in the months that you're doing them you think well that's just me being me but looking back I'm like no I was very detached I was actually quite numb I had no idea what was going on so I wasn't actually acting in my best interests or Oh, I wasn't thinking things through. I wasn't I wasn't thinking with the, the way I think about things now yeah. sort of thing. Um, so I, yeah, don't have any texts from my mum. But, you know. <laughs> but there's also a parallel universe where you didn't do that. Yeah. And then your phone broke and you go, oh, everything I had saved on that phone is gone. Yeah. And there's no way to recover it. Mm-hmm. And actually you pulled off a plaster you didn't have to pull off but there's so many versions of that story where you lose the messages yeah that's actually a really nice way of looking at actually when you suddenly pin importance on something and it goes and that devastation and actually it makes me think my mum was quite a clumsy person or like lost things like I think I remember she my dad so my dad would give her a ring after every baby that was born and I think she left the ring he got her for either Tom or William in a service station toilet she took it off her finger to wash her hands and left it <laughs> and lost like let the ring they never got the ring back so my mum because she was you know so good at losing things would always say that she never wanted things of value or importance because yeah. she just didn't want to have to care about she didn't she's had so many times of caring about something and it getting messed up or mucky or lost and so it's better to not and so maybe sometimes I'm like well maybe that's almost that's made me think maybe that's the equivalent of that that I didn't want to pin importance on something that could be deleted and could be lost and because that's scary that's and also there's that thing you know again it ties when someone's died something the significance that things take and so you know if someone has said here's my last dying wish and then you've said, I'll do this thing. And then you're tied to it. Like, that's kind of terrifying. And I think we spoke a bit about it in the family episode of like, what, you know, saying, you say to someone who's about to die, because it, it, it's not like in the films where you think, oh, I, I'll promise them this and I'll promise them that. Because I think there's that, well, at least I remember feeling this kind of significance of this maybe is, can't be revoked or can't be. And there's a danger of saying something and feeling like you have to stick to it. And that's the thing, because you're 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 pausing in a moment of time with that person, and then no, then they're no longer there. But life changes from that moment. So, but there's no way of of being able to change it because they you can't chat with them. And be like, can I just change? Can I just um, edit this or or do this? Like, or you know, I said I do this, but you know, things are slightly different now. Can I do it in a different way? Because they have this significance, and it's like you know, if someone written something. Or I remember once, um, I I think Facebook ads. I don't know if it's because they knew my mum had died, but I got loads of ads for Ashes into Glass. Wow. <laughs> Where you, I think I must have like clicked on it. They, they'd always come up with a story of someone who'd, uh, someone had died and they'd got their ashes put into a lovely piece of jewellery. So I thought, oh my God, after mum died, maybe that would be a lovely thing. Like they had this lovely green ring and I thought I could get a lovely necklace or a, or a ring. And I never actually did it. And I think maybe deep down I was like, because if I lost that, how awful would that be to lose a ring with your mum's ashes in it? And I know I'd lose it. Like I am also like my mum was and I am clumsy and I lose things and I'm, you know, not 
good at being precious with things. That's why I'll never get a pair of expensive sunglasses because I sit on my sunglasses and I and I just don't take profit. Maybe though, if they were expensive, I'd take proper care of them. But you know, it's, it's there's a risk when you have something of value. So bringing it back to what you're saying, maybe me deleting the text is, you know, me preventing myself from doing a mum and losing something of value and being really upset. Yeah. And my phone actually was stolen. So, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that was annoying because it was like two months old. <laughs> and that had a nice photo of me and mum at the back. I wasn't so sad about the photo, but... So that could have very much been a reality. So there you go. Yeah. I'm not pinning anything onto the, you know, the iCloud. We've sort of gone off on a massive I know. tangent. <laughs> We wanted to talk about exercise as well. Oh, yeah, because it's under the umbrella of health. Yeah, and I had a question for you, which was, how do you feel when people say, oh, if you're feeling a bit rubbish, just go for a run? <laughs> well, well, it depends when they say it. I think I do agree. This isn't me saying anything, you know, on anything new. But, uh, you know, exercise really does help um, when, well, has helped me when I have been feeling down. It depends though, because sometimes I'm feeling griefy and I think I don't want to have to do something good for me. I sometimes just want to not do something good for me. Well, relatively what does good for you mean? But after my mum died, I um, ran more than I've ever run in my whole entire life. Yeah. I'd run every single day. Um, and I found that to be, and it's funny because I hadn't realized how much I was depending on it, but I'd literally go on holiday. Like I went on holiday with my friend Amelia to Greece and I was like, I have to bring my trainers. Like I, I just felt like I had to have my trainers on That's me all the time. That's famous um, oh, in the sea story. Yes. If you'd like to go back to the work episode. <laughs> You'll hear a story about Ella going in the sea. <laughs> Naked. In that um, same holiday. Ella was on the work episode. But so I literally would have to have my trainers on me all the time because I felt such a nervousness of not being able to go off and run. And I think that it, and I've written about it in in a in a blog that we can link to in the show notes about how the running, because I think I found it really hard to tap into my intense feelings at the start of mum died. I couldn't have those big, I could have occasional big cries, but I, it took a while. I, I almost wanted to get it out. I, I, I could feel that I was feeling it, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It was such a big cry to do on my own. So running would like trigger the cry because it, it's almost like your body's um, being tricked into it because your chest is heaving, you're panting, and it's like you're in the middle of a big sob. And sometimes it would literally just start the sob off for me. It was like, I don't know what, if there's an analogy. It was like, I don't think it needs one. No, it, it well, is in itself an analogy. Yeah. And you're running, going for a run, you're out of breath, and then you're. And then you start sobbing, and it was a way to really like metabolize my feelings and let me. I think it again goes back to when I talk about with when I have massive cries and I feel like my brain and my body's being really aligned. I think the running, it was like I could just focus on 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 the movement and the expending energy, and then I just feel so like. And also, in, when you really exert yourself, I couldn't think of anything else. I just be all I could be doing was focusing on my breathing, feeling my body, feeling, being in touch with myself. Because I think, especially in those months after Mum died, and that's why I, and I talk about ther- like going to therapy a few months after because I felt so detached from myself. I felt really like. I wasn't feeling my happy feelings. I wasn't feeling my sad feelings. And so running was a, a way to bridge that in a way to go, I need to feel 
in my head in my body I need them to be feeling the same thing and I think exercise was a way to do that I don't run as much now partly because I got a bit of runner's knee last year mm. and I found other exercises that I enjoy but I think also I think it was because that period of my life that was just my way of yeah I, do, I don't know if I ever will run well I can't run that much ever again every single day but it it was a, a, a ritual that I really really needed and really hung on to so in some ways, grief was good for me in those <laughs> in those initial months. And you told me a story the other day about when you went to, it's the boxing question, oh. when you went to a boxing class, boxing oh, yes. size, is that what they First, call it? Uh, uh, it's probably got Rumble, a cooler name. Rumble. Rumble. How London. At one rebel. Te- Ella Ten. <laughs> Um, (laughs) and you weren't expecting it to be a griefy experience but of course it was yes all comes well actually this was one yeah it was my first boxing class and i think i i I have only it's my first and only one i've done i keep meaning to go back but i haven't had a chance to but in the boxing class and you're like punching the bag and he was saying you know think of something that makes you angry and the only thing i could bring to mind was just like my mum being ill and it's funny because i never have feel anger i never think about it as something that makes me angry but I really f- enjoyed like pummeling this punch bag and thinking about it and I was like maybe there's an untapped part of me I wonder what he thinks people are thinking in that moment yeah I wonder what people are thinking I'd love to know what everyone is thinking like oh what- the injustice of the world <laughs> yeah like push like pow I think I just found it really cathartic I should book a class again I'm not going back but I think it's just because you know I've got other classes that I enjoy like doing. <laughs> this is such an obvious point to make, but I'm going to make it sound profound. Yes. In that we've spanned in this conversation, like, I feel like different eras of your yeah. grief. And it's, uh, who knows what number era we're in of how many, but like your stories of like six years ago, five years ago are so like raw. Mm. And actually when you're just in a boxing rumble and (laughs) and someone's saying what makes you angry and it's just so like present there for you and you the emotion is really there but i feel like it's really like settled Mm. and you're as we've discussed before you're kind of content with it in a way that feels horrible for me to say that out loud yeah i think you're right in that i think content is i think it's perhaps acceptance of grief i wouldn't i don't know if that's acceptance of death but I think it's accepting and wanting to own the fact that I, like I said, I'm a full-time griever. That it's just a daily thing for me. I resent it sometimes, but I've, you like, learning to live with it. It's learning to, I've, yeah, from, from the beginning to now and how I, you know, used to see it as an enemy and like, get rid of it. Like, don't want that. That's bad, sad feelings to going, actually, this is very much a part of me. And like I said, it's something that, connects me to my mum and can connect me to my you know those big cries allow me to align my like mind and body and so yeah in that boxing class because it's accessible in a way that then I you know I finish the class go have some lunch with friends and I'm not thinking about it anymore but I can tap into it but like we realized me watching film with my mum is not (laughs) 
podcast. That's not there yet. But again, I think, you know. It's a process. It's a process. And I know that it is, like, even the fact that it's been, you know, after six years, it's really changing. And that's why I'm so glad I have my blogs and that we've, you know, even recording this. It's like a diary. It is, because I think you forget. Like, I think I forget, like, the rawness of the first year or how I used to think of grief. And it's, you know, it's forced me to go, okay, how would I articulate it now? How would I articulate it now? And I think that's sometimes what makes us reluctant to talk about grief because it's so different from for every single person but it can be so there are elements that can be similar and we can share you know feeling and experiences but it obviously it mixes with people differently so it feels like there isn't a way you can encapsulate it universally but I do think that that oh, there's probably a good way of, of ex- explaining or you know trying to articulate this but you know the offshoots of grief and being able to share those and how you know it's mixed with you know me for exercise or going to the doctors can can just highlight how the fact it mixes with things I think even the fact it mixes with things is just going okay here's permission to know that it will mix with things in ways you don't know and that's okay and it will still be here after however many years and that's okay and it can be a daily thing and that doesn't mean you're being over dramatic like yes of course there can be really complicated grief that you know could you know it is maybe something that's different I can't talk for all grief but just to explore its different manifestations is just a way I guess to say that it's okay that there isn't this one-size-fits-all experience. And actually, you won't be expecting it, but, and I don't want you to attempt to give blood again as a friend, (laughs) but one day you'll be at the doctor's and it may have already happened. And It hasn't. Okay, (laughs) you don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. One day you'll be at the doctor's and you'll go there for a reason. They'll talk to you about the reason and do things to you. And then you'll go home without having had an emotional experience. And that's not you noticing that the fridge has stopped humming. Mm -hmm. That's you allowing yourself to to see a trip to the doctors as a trip to the doctors in the same way that going to punch a punch bag and then going for brunch with your friends is just a Saturday morning. Yeah. And... And you don't want to avoid the emotion. As we know, you're very happy and keen to experience the emotion. Mm. But I think that that when I talk about these eras, I don't know when I became an expert. <laughs> but, but as a friend, I'm seeing you and I'm like, I, I think you are, you're so like content with it all. And it's really nice. And actually you can... I want you to be able to go to the doctor without crying. I thought you know that was a really great way of summing it up. Thank you. I'd also like you to be able to come to my house without crying. <laughs> I only invited you over for pasta. <laughs> I think as well, and I also want to pick up on because I think the content with with it all. I think that that's like I said is is the because I don't know if content is always the best word because I think that there's a lot that that I'm that I'm not content with. I think it's more acceptance. Maybe it's like acceptance. Of it being this roller coaster of an experience, an acceptance that there are awful parts, not so bad parts, unexpected parts. And I think in, by content, I didn't mean like um, <laughs> so happy my mom kind died. of resi- <laughs> re- resigned to. Yeah. More like a steadiness. Yes, a, a peacefulness with it. And I feel kind of guilty in a way that when we have those conversations and I ask really probing questions about things that happened six years ago and you properly start crying because I'm taking you back to a place when you didn't have that steadiness that you've now found. Yeah. But I think it all merges in. It's all collectively part of it. And that my, like taking me back there is, is me being able to look at it with a different lens. And actually, you know, at the time I wouldn't have answered crying. And so it's a good 
this crying is actually part of this new era of it. It's being able to look back and go, that was really sad. I feel sad for my 20-year-old self, my 21-year-old self. And so it's all kind of like merged into one. I feel like we're digging into that. And I'm enjoying this digging of, of eras, contentment, acceptance. But I, th- I think it, it can... My point I was trying to make <laughs> to kind of conclude this thing... Sorry, <laughs> make it very difficult to conclude... Um, was I think that you're, you've had these experiences of how your grief has demonstrated itself to you when you've been in a position of medical vulnerability <laughs> or when you've been exercising. Yeah. But I think without you realising it, that has changed and hopefully it, you won't, it won't be a demon for you. Yes, I agree with you. Nice summing up. But I can't tell you how to feel. <laughs> you're my therapist. Pay me some money. <laughs>